Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Culture Bunker. I'm Andrew Harrison. And I'm Sean Patterson. And I'm Alex Andrew. The holidays are almost upon us, and we've got a gift of a guest for you. She's the doyenne of the dinner party, the beau ideal of the bain-marie, the navratilova of the pavlova. We have the very mistress of the microwave, Nigella Lawson. (laughs) And as an avid Succession fan, we'll be talking to Nigella about the best show on TV, no argument, as we wait for the final episode of season three, plus Nigella's favourite music TV and culture of 2021. Plus, what should we all be giving each other for Christmas and Nigella's favourite tune of all time? All this and more in a decadent, irresistibly moist culture bunker with indulgent filling and extra Greg sprinkles. Welcome to the Culture Bunker, and today we have all three presenters here jostling for space as we are so eager to be in the orbit of this week's special guest. Isn't that right, fellas? (laughs) But only virtually. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. We are a little bit virtual, but we do follow rules. Firstly, Alex, I know you're a keen cook, but Andrew Harrison, no offence, but you look like a fried egg butty type to me. What's the most (laughs) ambitious meal you've cooked in the past two years? How very dare you? I am a son of a a butchering family. I make my own sausages on occasion. Uh, so that's what I like making and also beer but the, this year's beer was a bit of a disaster I'm still trying to learn how to get the beer right Was your dad Ooh. really a butcher? Oh, I yeah. can't believe you don't know this yeah, butcher shops <laughs> I, in Liverpool, I didn't know this, that's amazing yeah, that, yeah. My, my dad being a butcher is like Sadiq Khan's dad being a bus driver He gets mentioned every five minutes <laughs> The only one who could ever reach me was the son of a butcherman. Well, we'll be getting on to that, Nigella. Shush. Do you cook (laughs) Christmas dinner, Andrew? This is what I want to know. Do you do all the trimmings? I do. I do. I love cooking Christmas dinner. We usually do. uh, We usually do roast pork with a fruit stuffing because I don't like turkey. Turkey Ah. is boring. Yeah. So roast pork. I see. And Alex, I'm presuming you've started basting your turkey already. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little bit early for that. I'm not doing one this year, I'm afraid, because okay. uh, uh, my family is scattered across Europe and right. we're, we're trying to juggle the sort of lockdown rules of six countries. And Crikey. we've decided it's just not worth trying. We're setting ourselves up for disappointment. <laughs> so we're not going to meet this Christmas. It's just going to be a twosome for me. Zoom dinner, maybe. Mm. But enough of this. Um, Let us welcome the queen of everything. We have Nigella Lawson on the show today. Hello, Nigella, and thanks for joining us. Where are you dialing in from? London City. Well, not London City, but London Town. 
<laughs> Wonderful. I've been perusing your latest cookbook. I read it all night. I have such a lovely job. Amongst the beetroot spaghetti and poached quince, there's a fish finger sandwich. There's spaghetti with marmite and roast chicken on a bed of crisps. Yes. <laughs> Are you the experimental genre hopping Stockhausen of the cookery world? Well, you know, I have to say that the... The chicken on crisps mm. um, I got from France. They do that in France a lot. And, of course, they do know about eating, although I'm actually mm. more of an Italophile than a Francophile in the kitchen, I suspect. But mm-hmm. it is a, you know, it's not actually a recipe. I did hasten to say that, obviously, but it's so divine. So you get your big platter and mm-hmm. you put the crisps on. <laughs> and I roast the chicken, but I do it spatchcocked. Because I like a bit of surgery in the kitchen. So I get my kitchen scissors and I just remove the backbone from the chicken. But I flatten it. It makes a very satisfying crunch. I press down, you know, load it up with garlic and butter and salt. And put it in the oven. And I do actually also roast the backbone too. And then I just eat that as it is later. Yeah. Um, and then I cut the chicken into four or six, whatever's necessary, and then I put it on the crisps. So the crisps that are, that are underneath the chicken, mm. those soft and they're sort of gooey with all yeah. that golden garlicky gravy, and then the crisps around the chicken, you know, keep very much as their name yeah. suggests. And it is fantastic. Oh, it's my kind of meal. At the beginning of lockdown, uh, Alex introduced the listeners to his potato peeling crisps mm. special. Don't waste anything as we enter enter lockdown. So perhaps we can combine the two here, Alex. Oh, yeah. Well, N- Nigella does her potato peeling crisps fried. I think. Yeah, I, I did my own. <laughs> No, I followed that. I I listened to that one and then there were many, many peelings being put in the (laughs) oven after that. Andrew, this is also the book for you, the musings upon anchovies and rhubarb. And also there's a chapter almost called Brown Food. Nigella, I want to ask you, what is your favourite music to cook to? What music do you listen to when you're washing up? Well, I have a dance time playlist that I don't know <laughs> would be good for me to uh, broadcast. But like, may I say, it includes lots. Uh, I've got "Don't Leave Me This Way." <laughs> I've got on oh, and I've got that wonderful Alex. You know, I'm having a bit of a blank. Raffaella Cantiaguri. Oh, Raffaella Cana. See, Raffaella Cana. Yeah, yeah. Deeply, uh, deeply fabulous. So you can feel her in a tight red jumpsuit as you wash up. Them. Oh my God, she was <laughs> um, such a thing in Greece. She had her own show on TV in Greece. No, she is really yeah. fabulous. So many, so a lot. I think I possibly have Sugar Sugar in there as well. And just anything that I can dance to. I, and that will, you know, fill me with music as I sponge a few pounds <laughs> some years ago i interviewed uh, nigella for the word magazine and nigella you were very specific that among your favorite records were yeke yeke it had to be the oh, hard floor yeah. mix and blue monday got to be yeah. the hard floor mix so an affinity for german acid house no i love music that when you play it you feel the beat throughout your body Oh, yes, that's what we like yes. around here. The very first, can I say, the very first time I went to a, a proper nightclub, I ended up dancing to Yeke Yeke on a table 
and throwing my head around so wildly that I pinched a nerve and I oh. could not, I basically had to look to the left over my shoulder for a week. So that song has painful memories. Right, I see. Rave casualty. <laughs> well, you have to suffer for art, Alex. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently it's Christmas soon and we all have our Christmas family traditions, which I'll go round everybody, but Nigella first. Which Christmas family tradition do you stick to, even if it may be fairly irrational? Ah, let's not bring reason into it. <laughs> uh, well, I have one that makes me sound a bit more Martha Stewart than I am. I just uh-huh. make, um, since my children were very little, I have made edible Christmas tree decorations. I prefer a kind of minimalist, chic aesthetic. And of course, small children have unutterably bad taste. So that's much <laughs> more like Donna Teller. But I am such a horrible mother that I used to add masses of ground black pepper to them so they wouldn't take them off the tree. (laughs) Poor children. (laughs) Alex, what's one of your family traditions? Oh, God, I can't do Christmas uh, Christmas lunch without an iron tablecloth. (laughs) And I literally do not use a tablecloth any other day of the year for anything. But for Christmas lunch, I just have my, my mother in my ear going, oh, this is very shabby. (laughs) unless I have a sort of Mm -hmm. proper linen iron tablecloth on the table. It's not got reindeer on it or snowmen. No. No, fine. And Andrew? Well, we don't really have any because every time we do Christmas, it seems to be somewhere else. Sometimes it's in London, sometimes it's at my place, sometimes it's up at my parents' place near Liverpool in, in, in West Lancashire. But the main thing is nobody in the family likes Christmas pudding at all. Nobody wants Christmas pudding mm-hmm. except me. And I have Christmas pudding no matter what, even if it's just <laughs> me, which resulted one year in me being at the checkout in Marks and Spencers, passing my Marks and Spencers Christmas pudding for one to the lady who's swiping all the car- all, all the barcodes, and she just gave me the saddest look you've ever seen in your life. Chris, this is the saddest object on the face of the earth. And I had to say, no, no, I I, I have friends and I have and I have family, and, and they just don't like it, and, and I like it. And she she just tilted her head and went, yes, sure, you do, of course you do. You you keep clinging to that fantasy with your invisible imaginary friends. Oh, but yeah, Christmas pudding. You. Yeah. Do you know what mine is? What's yours? Christmas bog roll. Um, I don't what? think what? a year has passed. You know, when you go to a certain supermarket and they have the proper three ply, but it's got Father Christmas on it or it's got a snowman, whatever it's got, whatever year, they do change the designs. You get Christmas bog roll and then you know it, the true meaning of Christmas. Is it pine scented? <laughs> Sometimes they do have them like that. You can also get kitchen towel in that range. There you well, go. That's a very strange Christmas. But they- <laughs> I am astonished. <laughs> really? <laughs> totally yeah, <poor> normal. Santa. <laughs> also, I just want to say before we crack on with the show, very importantly, thank you, Nigella. You once, through the magic of your cookbooks, helped me make a really great caramel sauce once. It was absolutely fantastic and the most exciting thing I've ever made because it's so nearly burnt. <laughs> it's so nearly different. I followed your advice. Oh, it was wonderful. Thank you very much. Yes, you have to be brave. You have to. Oh yes, you have to push it far. Absolutely. Yeah, push it real good. This has been a disrupted twenty months in terms of culture. Certain things like theatre or live music fell off the edge, while other activities like binging on a series or that old chestnut reading really came into their own. Nigella. 
How has your culture consumption changed in the last few months? I have to say, it's uh, my culture consumption is low, but I something happened to me a, a bit during lockdown, which is I w- because I was alone totally for the you know for the f- first long lockdown in 2020. I got used to so much silence that hearing anything felt like too, it was too noisy. So mm. I read a lot, and I am a reader more than uh, really a theatre-goer anyway. So it hasn't been that much of a change for me. But it's odd not to go to the theatre at all. I haven't been to the cinema, but I'm the most annoying person to watch television because it's too noisy when I'm by myself. But as you know, since you're my television-watching partner, Alex, <laughs> I really enjoy TV only if I have company and I can talk all the way through it, which obviously <laughs> makes me really popular. No, I, I enjoy it because, as you know, I'm exactly the same. So we pause a lot and go back because we have discussions. <laughs> we make an, a one-hour episode last at least two. What was your favourite movie of the year? Have you seen? I mean, I know there's not been a lot. Uh, well, actually, out. I haven't. I haven't seen one. So I'm going to to ignore what you've asked me in the traditional fashion, Alex. (laughs) And I want to talk about a a film that is so wonderful and is not available in the UK. And I I watched it pre-2021 and not in this country, but it's it's extraordinary. And I just feel I'm going to leave it to you guys to start a campaign. It's called Let Them All Talk. It's it's from a Deborah Eisenberg story, which she wrote, or she and she wrote the script. Stephen Soderbergh directs, and it's got Meryl Streep, Candice Bergen, and Diane Weiss in it, and it's fabulous. And so, and it's not available to watch here. It isn't. It's never been released here. You can't watch it here. So it's your duty. To start a campaign. duty yeah. to make sure that in uh, 2022, whatever else might, <laughs> what might happen, then you bring us this film, please. Tell us a bit more about it then. What's, what, what, well, what, what's about it? Well, it's essentially about a writer. It's about a writer who, for reasons, well, we know the ostensible reason, she's going to England but to take to be given this enormously prestigious prize, she won't fly. So she insists on going on a huge cruise ship, and that she's allowed to bring others with her. There is an awful lot of tension because she has written about one of those characters, or in fact, all of them, but one, Candice Bergen, cannot forgive her. So Mm. instead of it being this lovely jaunt, it's full of tensions. And it's done deliciously. Uh, And, but it's, it's funny, but it's, it's very observant about the human condition and it does raise a lot of issues about who gets to write about whom. Who owns your identity and, and is, it, mm. is it stealing a part of it to write about it? But it's really wonderful. So it's not, it doesn't have these older women there for like, aren't we great? We've got older <laughs> women in this film. Mm. They are such wonderful characters who are just you know, trying to sort things out in life. How about you, Sean? You've reviewed a fair few for the podcast. Has one really stuck with you? 
Well, last week I chose another round as one of the films that I would watch again and again that I really delight in. Mm. But Power of the Dog, which you and I saw, didn't we, and is now mm. on Netflix, is something that I'm definitely going to go back to in the next few weeks and rewatch because it is such an interesting film. It stars Benedict Cumberbatch, Kristen Dunst, and Cody Smith-McPhee, who is incredible in it. Mm. And as a film that is about the West, the Wild West of America, and is about masculinity, I identity and the power structures of quite a small unit but those power structures changing and secrets being revealed as they always does it's a Jane Campion film and it's just so rich and so layered I want to go back to see what clues are placed all those sorts of things as she's all Jane Campion's films are always must-sees aren't they just yeah yeah absolutely there's an epic sweep to them that you know there's something to them that kind of just takes you along it's and and it's such economical storytelling i, I was going to say a lot of it is not script based it is within the presence of the characters yeah. how they are standing is what you're watching and yeah. what they are looking at almost in that it's very similar to passing which we talked about as well which is on mm. netflix which is just sometimes about the being of the characters yeah. Rather than what's, yeah. <laughs> you know, the next bit, the next bit, the cliffhanger, the next bit, and then, you know, whatever our traditional narrative And they're both very visual films, because as a director, a friend of mine always rails against a film like, for instance, The King's Speech, which is a very good movie, but mm. his argument is it could be a, an amazing radio play. Um, you don't need the visual. It's a very yeah. wordy stage film. And both Passing and Power of the Dog, could never be anything else than a, yeah, cinematic. a, a cinema. Mm. Nigella, when I last visited you, the house was a little bit like those Channel 5 documentaries about hoarders. New rooms, you, had, a, new rooms had appeared <laughs> made entirely out of piles of books. That is true. What's your, I, I know it's a difficult one, but what, what's been your favourite book of the year? Do you know, I think that... I would say my favourite book of the year is a novel, and I and I do think you know majority of the books I read are novels, and it's it's called Great Circle by Maggie Shipstead, and I do think Sean, given that what you've been saying about mm -hmm. those films, you would like again it's a, it's enormous in scope. I mean, I think mm -hmm. the thing that's I I hate reducing anything to the vulgarity of plot, <laughs> and I would say that obviously the writing is the most important. But she Maggie Shipsid has always been a good writer. This is so much bigger in scope, and I think that is what's so interesting: that her sentences are perfect, the structure mm. is perfect, and the scope is both like a nineteenth-century Russian novel in some sense, although this is very much American. And also cinematic. I mean, okay. it's if I had to describe it to someone who wanted more of a structure in terms of subject, it's mm -hmm. the early days of women's flight and it's about travel, imagination, adventure, identity and sexuality. And interestingly, and family, of course, mm -hmm. but and interestingly as well, because it's not all in one timeline, it's very much about identity, and ownership in the celebrity age. There is a character there too who is obviously meant to be stratospherically famous mm. and all the things she does wrong and uh, how she's sort of eaten up by it and yet tries to have freedom. But for me, the it's really the 
the characters who are more in the past rather than the present, but they're woven mm. together so well. And you know, it's it's extraordinary. It was it was shortlisted for the Booker. I, I was tremendously disappointed it didn't win because I feel she really needs, this book really deserves mm-hmm. uh, so many readers, not for her sake, but for the reader's sake. Yes, mm. yes. Brilliant. Um, now, I know you love, love, love Succession, um, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But that aside, was there another 2021 TV series that you urgently awaited and eagerly consumed? I mean, for me, it's the good fight, completely. Mm. But I, I thought you might in, say that. That is something I always look for. But I do feel if we're talking about... Uh, you know, television in in whatever year, hell year we've just done, 2021. <laughs> it, it's not a series, but I think It's a Sin was one of the mm. most wonderful pieces of television that I, I saw this year as well. But I am a good fight addict. Andrew, anything else you'd like to throw in the TV series pot today? Well, I mean, I'm just going to have to ring the bell. Boringly and predictably, I've got to ring the bell for both WandaVision and Loki. WandaVision being the uh, the Marvel spin-off in which Wanda Maximoff creates a new reality for herself out of her grief and sadness that, that her, her lover, the Vision, has been killed in uh, one of the, in the, the previous movies. And she, not understanding her own power and the power of her grief, she rebuilds a reality built entirely on nostalgia. Mm. And I thought that was really beautiful and clever because that because grief is partly nostalgia. Why can't things be the way that they were? Mm. And she retreats into 1950s television and 1970s sitcom and even 1990s sitcoms because she can't she, she cannot accept the reality that the love of her life has mm. gone. Yeah, it's a it's a lovely format. It's incredible. And the power of her brief actually kind of brings him back. And you get from a kind of, from a comic book figure, plastic robot, you know, the most banal figure going, you get this lovely line, what is grief but love persevering? Mm-hmm. And I, I actually found it for all like the Sturm and Drang. I actually found it really, really moving. Mm-hmm. And alongside it, Loki, of course, where Tom Hiddleston's Loki, the villain of so many of the Marvel movies, finds something to care about, something to be decent about something to become a hero about. I actually, I found it incredibly funny. It's, uh, it's you know, Tom Hiddleston, who knew he was such a great comic actor. He's absolutely fantastic. And his counterpart, the British actress, Sophia DiMartino, she's fantastic. What else would a narcissist do but fall in love with the female <laughs> or, the, or another version of himself? I can't let this section go without throwing Squid Game ah. in. I mean, it is such an extraordinary achievement for a foreign language thing to break the Anglosphere in such a way that it's become common parlance now. Pretty much anyone would understand the reference. It really was an extraordinary series. And I I look, it's the sort of series I look forward in five or six years' time watching again, if that makes sense. On more familiar ground, uh, Nigella, and I shan't be so cruel as to confine you to one this time, what cookbooks from this year have fired you up and got you experimenting in the kitchen? Well, I think, actually, the book that I have given to quite a few people already and I have adored is a book by Tim Anderson, and I'm going to pronounce it all wrongly, but it's called Your Home is a Kaya. I'm saying that it's a Japanese word, a kind of drinking den with a lot of snacks 
to, uh, that would be there to accompany your drinks. But it's mm. got an awful lot in it. I, there's a cabbage salad. I think he calls it addictive cabbage. I can't stop making. <laughs> and it's a lot of the recipes actually are written for two people, uh, which suits me very well. I can easily eat anything that says serves two. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> cheese that galby. Oh. So what it is, really, it's like Korean barbecue meets fondue. So you you um, you have chicken and vegetables, okay, in cooked in a chili sauce, and then you push them to the sides of the pan. So if you imagine a big cast iron skillet, and then in the centre, you create a lake of liquefied cheese. Ooh. Oh my goodness! Ooh. Okay, over and out with that one. And you saw why <laughs> it was breaking. Uh- and Andrew, considering you're convalescing at the moment, you never heard that. I know. <laughs> no cheese allowed. You know, there is, there's a you know, wonderful, so I'm trying to look now, there's a pepper steak with garlic soy sauce. And like, if you want to go really different, udon carbonara with bacon tempura. There are so many things that, you know, great fried rice things. And actually, fish fingers appear. There's fish finger Ooh. hand rolls. Oh, hello. I pricked up And hand. Yep, we're yeah, back. Yeah. And a cat's chicken katsu curry spaghetti. Oh, lovely. Uh, but it's, and in a way, he's trying to say that this is how people eat, and this is actually the sort of food in these uh, drinking mm. dens. I like the word, the drinking den <laughs> idea. It's such a wonderfully old-fashioned concept, mm. isn't it? I'm suddenly feeling really quite hungry. Yeah, me too. But there's been other, you know, listen, obviously New Book by Claudia Roden, fabulous. And I loved the Otto Lenghi Test Kitchen book, Shelf Life. Mm. But there's another book that is, there's a book, oh, it makes me laugh, I love, if you like, fish cookery. And I hadn't seen anything about it. I happened to see someone uh, uh, write about it on Instagram. I, there was no publicity, you couldn't do it. And it's Mitch Tonks. Um, it's called Rockfish, the cookbook, and I love it. But what made me laugh enormously, although I shouldn't say this, it's a bit mean of me, I phoned up the publishers to say, can I get a copy? I don't know how to. And they went, hmm, how did you hear about this? As if their job was meant to make it a closely guarded <laughs> secret. But there's, it, it really is, there's a fantastic, there's something called Pizza Clamionara, which is, like those cl- what clam pies from New Haven, right, and right. a crab hummus, so delicious. <laughs> wow. and, crab hummus. And, and I feel that it's a book that deserves to be in many kitchens. I think the crab hummus were in uh, Pitchfork Top 50 albums. <laughs> I saw them supporting suede. Finally, quick fire round. We we are all oh, no. in need. We are all in need of comfort, and, mm. and there is little more comforting than a Christmas movie. But in order to stay away from the controversial subject of what is a Christmas movie mm-hmm. and whether Die Hard is one, let's not be prescriptive about genre. So let me put it this way: What is the film you go back to again and again this time of year? Sean, go. Sunset Boulevard. I could watch I that. Love film that film, isn't it? Isn't oh, it? My to God. anyone who has been hiding under a rock for the last sixty years, I <laughs> actually tingled when you said the word. Really? Ah, oh. oh, Billy Wilder, film starring William Holden and Gloria Swanson. It mm. is about 
Is it about fame? Is it about success? Is it about decay? Is it it's about, about age? Yeah. Well, it's also about an abusive relationship with a completely mm. 180 degree. Um, it's absolutely fascinating in its twists and turns. I, as I say, I could watch it on a loop and not go mad. It's on my list. It's at the top of the DVD pile because I'm going to start watching it this week as my Christmassy treat. And I may watch it every seven days. Andrew, what's yours? Boringly, it is the Alistair Sim Christmas Carol. Uh, I just it because yesterday. it's old school. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it's it's the best one it, because it's old and it feels like it was shot actually at the time that the book was written. <laughs> um, and one year we had such a terrible time getting to watch it that I had to I had to stream it on YouTube via my phone onto the telly and stand next to the telly holding my phone next to the telly. But and and kept kept pressing refresh because the phone kept going to sleep. But we watched the whole thing. It took about four hours, but we bloody well watched it because it was bloody well Christmas. We're going to do it right. Quite right. What about you, Nigella? For me, there's only one film that I have to watch every Christmas. It's a big, important family afternoon and evening, more or less. It's a very long film, The Sound of Music, obviously. Oh, brilliant. Mm. (laughs) What's not to Uh, love? What's not to love? And I'm so old, I actually went to see it at the cinema when it was released. Wow. I know. (laughs) What's yours, Alex? that. That is old. Yeah. <laughs> Better than being young, darling. Yeah, What's yours, That's Alex? True. What would you put on? Gremlins. It, I mean, Christmas has not happened until I am sitting down to watch <laughs> Gremlins. Genuinely. What do you like about it? I mean, I love everything about it. I guess because I was that age when it came mm. out and I saw it in the cinema. But I love that it's sort of a mixture of cutesy and horror. I love that it makes a ham-fisted attempt to sort of address consumerism <laughs> and and capitalism mm. in America in a sort of very innocent way. I love the creatures, uh, the 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 sound they make, the little song the Mogwai sings. I just mm-hmm. I love everything about it. It's the film that I make a conscious decision about that I will now, you know, the house has been cleaned, the decorations are up, I have snacks going, (laughs) and I am now going to sit down and watch Gremlins because Mm -hmm. it's Christmas. Right, let's have some music. We always ask our guests for their music recommendations. But as it's almost the end of the year, it's my turn. Way. There's been so much good music out, as I am keen on repeating to everybody I meet, even strangers on the street. I'm going to choose a track from an album I missed last week. It's an Etienne from I've Been Trying to Tell You, and it's a track called Penlop. One of my favourite albums, saw them live, and you forget how many hits and how good that music sounds live. I was actually astonished. It was really fantastic. So I wanted to play this. So it's Penlop St. Etienne.
Now, as well as being the queen, the queen, the queen of the kitchen scene, our special <laughs> guest Nigella is a succession addict, and it's the season three finale on Monday, or 2am Sunday, if you're staying yeah. up late, and we all are. What have we made of season three? Where is it going? How come so many of us are in love with these awful people <laughs> who do these awful things to one another? Sean and I have watched up to episode eight. Alex and Nigella have watched up to episode seven, the party one. Here is the season three trailer to refresh your memories. I dropped a bomb. The whole world is watching for my next move. You're the number one trending topic ahead of Tater Tots, and the Pope followed you. Wow. Uh, okay, no, this is not the... Re- is this the real... Uh, right. No, Great. I don't Thanks, think this Greg. is a Pope. My family have disappeared. I need to know where everyone is and what everyone's thinking. There he is, the little man who started this big war. Right now, I'm the real you. Sure, and I'm the real you. You sound deranged. As I understand it, you want to take down your dad without implicating yourself. Correct. And without damaging the company to the extent that you lose control at your shareholder meeting. Do you have an actual case, Ken? Yes, I can kill him. Is he going to watch? Could we make a note in the minutes that he's watching us? There's blood in the water. Sharks are coming. We're going to lose the company. We're going to lose the fucking company Yo. today. Investigation's looking pretty bad. I'm focused on not going to jail. Logan says we have to take these. Cyanide pills. It's a mint. You do for... So we don't need to explain succession, the story of media monarch Logan Roy and his awful, awful kids jockeying for position. Season two ended with the electrifying scene of Kendall Roy, who's supposedly going to deliver an apologetic press conference, instead denouncing his father and the culture of sexual abuse at Waystar Royco. And then we cut to a tiny smile on Logan's face as he seems he's like finally impressed by Kendall in some small way. Nigella, what have you made of season three so far? You're seven out of nine in. Well, I think, I mean, it seems extraordinary that it's able to do this, but I think it just gets, well, to say it gets better and better is maybe not true, but it's it's as emphatically good and as sort of searingly painful and funny. But, you know, what I've been thinking a bit about it recently is, and I don't know whether this is, was a conscious part of the writing or the character development, but it seems to me that essentially... This latest season is about isolation. Mm. So the way everything is slightly breaking down, everything is always breaking down, but it seems to me that there's no way of people reaching one another or really trying to. Mm. And look, what's always interesting about Succession is that you can't like the characters, mm. Yeah, I think. And, that's, uh, and yet you can't help... You're given an understanding of why they're like that, which isn't necessarily... And every time you start to feel a bit of sympathy, as I did with Kegel, <laughs> then suddenly you're told, are you crazy to have any sympathy for this <laughs> douche? <laughs> and, yeah. and that's quite interesting. But for me, it is that the melancholia and the, and the isolation seems very much part of this season. Yeah. I mean, there was a very clear arc to season one, wasn't it? In that it was essentially Kendall tries to escape and is reined in. And then season two is, it's, you know, Kendall finally, finally drags himself, grows a pair and declares war on his father in that incredible final scene. In terms of the arcs of the characters and where they're going, Alex and Sean as well. I mean, can we tell where this is going yet? I mean, there is a... I know you guys haven't seen episode eight yeah. yet, but there is a very strong pointer that there's going to be a resolution mm-hmm. of some sort for somebody. 
<laughs> what do you think, That's Alex? Like what do you the think? world's what? worst spoiler. <laughs> I really enjoyed the characters who were maybe wetter in the first couple of seasons. So the cousin Greg and oh. Tom suddenly developing their own little political side arc because hmm. because it it felt in the previous two seasons it felt that they were slightly too functional in the drama of it all if that makes sense that they were ciphers really for every man and henpecked husband rather than fully fleshed out characters and i think this season they have grown into something much more than that so i've enjoyed that i mean ultimately the 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 arc of this series was set up in that really clever marketing campaign which had the two factions walking down a corridor but they released a number of posters where the people behind either Logan or Kendall were different in each poster and that's been the setup for the season and that's what this season has been about are you with me or are you with mm. them? But they're still alone, you see. The sense they might yeah. have people with them. But I'm more, I mean, as I say, I, I haven't quite caught up. But I'm, I'm quite anxious about Kendall because, I don't know, how is he going to come back from not just the party, mm. <laughs> but, but everything? Awful, awful birthday. I don't feel things are going to get better for him ever in yes, life. Yes, full stop. You know, yeah. were he a real person? Is Succession essentially about Kendall? Is it essentially about what happens when you've come through this family that has warped your personality so much? You have a father you can never, ever please, and you can never develop any sense of true self-worth because fundamentally you have already compromised with all this stuff. You are a bad guy underneath it, no matter what you tell yourself. I think it's a programme about entitlement. Mm -hmm. And I suppose this very contemporary view that truths are somehow immaterial and it's just image. Mm. The reason I think it appeals is that because we're all entitled in some way. So, you know, m my family is very much working class, but my father managed to sort of build a couple of things, but he was also a terrible gambler. So he built a small fortune and then sort of lost it all. And it took me a very long time, and I know that my sisters are the same, to be able to say, well, it was never mine. I was never entitled to mm, it. Mm. It was always like an open wound that these things didn't come to us, but they went instead to a, a sort of card debt. In the same way, I think there's a there's a little bit of Kendall in all of us in that we all have someone in our lives that we try to please endlessly, who we know will never be pleased, who we know will never give us the comfort we seek, and yet we try and try. And we have moments of clarity where we think, why am I trying to please this person? It's never going to happen. I'm never going to get what I need from them, but we all do it. And so I think it's those more universal, recognisable traits that makes this a thing that you want to watch. No, but I think it's because it's about family. Mm. I mean, like, the, like so many great novels, well, nearly everyone understands the complications of family and the, the emotional hold 
that all those struggles have from the nursery onwards. In terms of who they are, they're not relatable. And yet watching families argue or watching, you know, the sibling relationships, which can be both very connected and then full of hostility. And I think, you know, in other words, you know, naff though it sounds, it's just, you know, that means it's about the human condition, even Mm -hmm. in the way they live, the experiences they have, the possibilities available to them, bear no relation to anything the viewing audience Mm -hmm. Lives with them, you know. This was really made clear in the in the party episode that you guys have just seen. Where I mean, I thought it was a flawed episode. I thought it was the first one that I felt they were trying to rerun something they'd done previously. It was kind of a rerun of the ultimate cringe that was Kendall at Kendall Raps. But the, one of the great things about it was that they, all the action takes place in a treehouse, which he has been had built for his re- revolting, <laughs> you know, over the top gauche money burning party. And what it all boils down to is who they don't want to let into the treehouse. Yeah, yeah. It's like yeah. literally preschool yeah. stuff, yeah. still dramatized, but but with billions. I hadn't it. thought of it that way. That's a uh, that's a really lovely spot, actually. When it comes to families, very few people escape the nursery. Yeah, yeah, mm. I think that's really yeah. true. Yeah, yeah. Well, ask the Gallagher brothers. <laughs> They're still fighting in their late forties and early fifties. There's also an incredible exchange between Shiv and Tom, her husband, in the penultimate episode, which made my jaw absolutely mm. drop. Mm. And both of you guys uh, will, I think, will get a lot from it, shall we say. We tend to rank them in terms of, oh, yeah, quite, a like, quite like Cousin mm. Greg, quite like Tom. If you took any of these characters out yeah. of that environment and placed them in your own environment, yeah. even the nicest yeah, one would be the worst Greg person you knew. wanted to sue knew. Greenpeace, which is one of my exactly. favourite yeah. bits of the show. <laughs> horribly suing Greenpeace. But also, at the same time, let me meddle with your mm-hmm. hypothetical, Andrew. Mm. If you took them outside their environment, you, you wouldn't like them. But at the same time, if you pitched... Any single character in that series against another single character in that series in a fight, you'd have a favourite. You would have ideas about how that would develop and you would have a deep wish for one of them to vanquish the other. But that's what the series does really, really well, you know, because you're taught as an actor that, you know, to bring things to life, you have to have a really clear understanding of what it is you want from the other person and what's your strategy for getting it because we're working on the principle of Chekhov's gun you know mm-hmm. when when you're dealing with something that is constructed like a script or a play nothing is in there by accident everything in there has a reason so if you have a scene between two characters in the writing is good Okay, if the writing is bad, there may be superfluous stuff. But if the writing is good and there's a confrontation between two characters, it is because they are trying to get something out of each other and their strategies basically butting against an obstacle. And I think that's what the series does so, so well. They all have the thing that they want. They all have, you know, their objective but their strategies flounder at times and are very different um, from one person to another. So you can see the same people trying to get the same thing out of others, but using completely different strategies. Mm -hmm. And that's the delight of it. What do we make of Roman's evolution from kind of like disgusting trickster Loki? To disgusting trickster Loki. (laughs) Yeah, from that to somebody who can actually kind of 
he's actually making deals. He, yeah. see, he sees the reins on certain uh, aspects, particularly this Gojo deal yeah. in the later episodes, and seems to be kind of coming up on the inside to totally sideline Shiv and positioning himself as somebody as ruthless as Dad. It's odd, isn't it? It's odd. I, I find him perhaps the character that I'm most impatient with, not just because of the character he plays, but because I feel there has been a, 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 such a shift in his abilities mm. to some extent that I find, I don't know if I, I find him really more of a comic turn. Yeah. Rather than a device, rather than a person like, mm, mm. I don't know. I think he's more believable now, probably. Yeah, he is more believable this series, for sure. So where do we think it's going then? Do we have a sense of, I mean, Nigel, that point about isolation is really interesting, not least because they had to make it in isolation. It's mm. been made throughout throughout lockdown and that's clearly seeped in. Both of the previous seasons ended on absolute uh, gut mm. punches involving Kendall. A lot of the uh, American fan sites are saying, oh, well, Kendall's story is done now. There's nowhere else for Kendall to go. But the idea that the show would kill off any of its characters seems too TV-ish and too implausible mm. for succession. What are we betting on? I don't know for this, but I certainly think we know there's a season four. And I can't see, I mean, it has to be, the, the, I would have thought it has to be the whole company going into receivership. That's interesting. What is it called in America, Chapter 13 or Chapter... Yeah. Chapter yeah. eleven. Chapter eleven. Yeah, I tend so to agree I with that. I, I mean, <laughs> You're I, on the next chapter. I tend to agree with that as a general thing. I don't know how it will happen, but what needs to happen dramatically is a reversal of fortune. So mm. what we need to see now is Logan fighting from a position of weakness. Because he's the only person who hasn't had a reversal so far, isn't it? Yeah. Apart from a heart attack in the first episode, which he has shaken off and wasn't mentioned at all until, I think, episode three of season three. Everybody else has been shoved on the back foot, crushed, moved aside. And uh, Logan yet has yet to sort of face anything. What I find interesting about Logan's character is that generally those monsters also have the ability to be enormously charismatic and they get what they want by somehow making people want to give it to them. Yes, they rule by fear, but there's, and it's quite interesting that there is no side of that to him. Well, we have, we've seen him a, a little bit being charming when he's dealing with people who he considers his equals. So when he was at that retreat we saw it a little mm. bit that suddenly yeah. he could he could switch it on in social situations in one of the first drafts logan dies at the end of episode of the first season oh my goodness and they, yes because we have obviously the first episode which is him um having a heart attack <gasps> yeah and and they changed it so they they kept him to be this immortal character and there's a point where tom does say i think is it to greg that logan is the only person who has never been crushed logan is the side that you go to and yeah. I want, I want more of the ghastly mother. I want Harriet Walter back. Oh, Lady Caroline. Yeah. Oh, she's so wonderful. Oh, yeah. You'll love season eight. Oh, Scary Poppins. I mean, episode eight. Oh. <laughs> yes. oh, so she does come back into it. Oh, yeah. She's, she's. I might have to leave you any minute to watch it. So. <laughs> well. 
episode eight is uh, all Lady Caroline yeah. all the time, and I think <laughs> oh. you'll definitely get your oh, money's worth fantastic. out of that. Now, I've got. A, I've been trying to spot on the model of Game of Thrones who's going to be the brand, who's going to be the one that the unexpected, least likely person who finally ends up on top, much to everyone's surprise. <laughs> and I doubt it's Jerry because she's already the kind of human shield fake yeah. CEO. Yeah. Um, I doubt it's Hugo. I doubt it's Carolina, sadly. I doubt it's heart. Frank. <laughs> I doubt it's no. Frank. I, get, I reckon the guy from Volta's going to come back and just wipe them all out. <laughs> what about Matson? Possibly, but he's too busy taking acid and being weird. No, but he might just go. Oh, no! I think we're going to get we're going to see a flip from him because he said so many weird things, and and, and he, well, he is, is the most famous flip. actor. So yeah, I, I think there's going to be something sense. there. I think there's going to be a Matson takeover. <laughs> I'm going to place a cheeky bet with no further explanation on okay. Marsha Roy. Put a pen in that one. <laughs> okay. Well, then. we'll be watching the final episode at two o'clock in the morning on Monday and losing our minds. It's now my turn to choose my favourite music of the year. As listeners will know, popular music is not always my bag, but I am pop curious. <laughs> a couple of months ago, we reviewed Bright Magic by Public Service Broadcasting. I have gone back to the album again and again. I play it regularly while walking. In between complete recordings of Lucia de Lambermoor and Das Lied von der Erde, you understand. It's just wonderfully hopeful and uplifting and a reminder of why I love this country at a time when I regularly must remind myself why I love this country. <laughs> Here is Let's Dance from Bright Magic by Public Service Broadcasting. Calm, dance. outside your window and there's a world of dread and fear where the only water flowing is the bitter sting of tears unless you have the wonderful culture bunker gift guide what do you get those hard to buy for friends and relatives well we have the answers well i hope we do i've got no idea what anyone's going to say first <laughs> off we all have someone we know who is a young person in quotes they do things and they think things differently the son daughter niece or nephew who's just gone to university or to a yts apprenticeship or is just going to sit on the sofa for 12 months andrew i'm going to say what would you get for your young person in your life well i actually have a few of these and <laughs> i cast my mind back to when i was that person mm -hmm. and the thing that was most valuable to me when i was a student when i was a penniless student was madder jeffrey's indian ah. cookery because it was the Bible, but also the gateway and also the TARDIS of Indian cookery. Mm. I've still That's got my copy. Yeah. It's so splattered with sauce and bits of onion that one day when I'm really on my uppers, I'll just boil it up for soup. <laughs> That's how well-thumbed and well-used it had been. And um, I actually interviewed her for the student paper in Leeds at the time. Mm. And it was like meeting a guru. I bet. She's fantastic. Yeah. She's brilliant. And the book, that was my gateway to cooking at all. Mm. Because I just thought, I like curry. Maybe I should learn how to do it myself. Yeah. And there we go. So that I would give that. And I know it's like, what is it, 40 years old now? But it still yeah, still seems very relevant to really today's tip. concerns. Nigella, young person in your life, people. 
Well, this would be a young person in my life, but if I had to give to a young person, I had to give a present to, and I didn't know. And I, I, I agree, Andy. I, I think you need to. It is about cooking. Now, this is a book I, I didn't grow up with. It's a, it's a book that was out this year, I think. You know, I'm a bit like. Uh, what is TikTok? I'm not quite that bad. <laughs> anyway, there's someone called Poppy Cooks, or well, that's what she's got, and she had a book out, and she was a big, you know, a, a lockdown sensation. Mm-hmm. You know, potatoes her speciality. <laughs> but the book I thought was really rather interesting because hidden behind that whole TikTok persona and that zippy modern way of doing things mm. was actually an incredibly good old-fashioned cookery course. Oh, okay. So I think that would be the book I would give would be give a young person who didn't have much experience in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. Okay. Alex, you'll go. I think staying within the food theme, I would mm-hmm. I would give them a sort of collection of kitchen utensils that are never included in the basic collection of kitchen utensils and you wouldn't think you need Mm-hmm. but you actually do. A good pair of tongs is invaluable. It's probably the thing I use most in the kitchen. Okay. A good microplane and a silicone spatula is essential in that uh, you end up wasting about 20% less of everything. So if you're budget conscious get a silicon spatula in that yes you really only love me for my jug of silicon (laughs) (laughs) i have my own in my defense i i swear by them but you know there are things that unless you cook you don't think you're going to need but actually just make life so much easier we could do a podcast about this yes we could yeah Okay, the foodie older relative, someone who likes noshing. How do we find nice things to add to stews or to drizzle on bits of cabbage? That kind of thing. Nigella, what would you choose? There's a vinegar I love more than anything. Oh, it yeah. transforms an awful lot. I, I will, again, mispronounce it. Sambaizu. I get it from a place called the Wasabi Company, which mm-hmm. is the wasabicompany.co.uk. And that is wonderful. But it, what I do think also for people who want to choose, and Alex, so you are not a difficult and elderly person, <laughs> I did give you this one year, which is gift vouchers from Sous Chef. Yes, right. that's true. Um, and it's called souschef.co.uk. But they've got great ingredients and it's quite nice to choose. I mean, if you were feeling very generous, you could give a monthly package to come, but that you know that ends up costing quite a bit. Mm-hmm. But it's all those little ingredients that okay. you can't get easily. But because they do vouchers, it's quite good if you've left it too late. Mm-hmm. That's a really good tip, Alex. What would you choose? For <laughs> so, are we talking about something that's easy to chew here? I don't know. What, how old is? <laughs> They've got all their teeth. How old is this relative? They're confident okay. in the kitchen. So if, yep. they do, if they don't have a stick blender, it has to be a mm. stick blender. It just mm. makes it oh, yeah. not only, yeah, yeah. not only because it makes incredibly easy work of sauces and uh, uh, soups and things like that, but also because, as I know from my dear auntie, 
it is she finds it in, because she has very bad arthritis so she finds it very very difficult to sort of swap implement the stick blender because it's quite a chunky thing and it has a, a a very sensitive button on the front it's very very easy to use for people who have problems with their grip good cool very good and andrew well, um, this is not something you can put into stews or drizzle on bits of cabbage or anything like unless, that. Unless you, you are did. feeling the Stockhausen. <laughs> unless you're feeling very Stockhausen. But it's it's my favourite chocolate. I've totally oh. fallen for Tony's Chocolate Only. And I know they're not exactly the kind of super grand reserve, um, you know. What is this still? Lovely. No, but don't be giving it to an old person because it will take their teeth out in one. Well, yeah. The thing is, Tony's Chocolate Only is they are an ethical chocolate brand. They're building their whole thing around ethically sourced chocolate and all the rest of it. But it's just really, really incredibly good chocolate. And the blocks, as Nigella says, they're mm. like a house brick. They're double they're the like size, aren't block. they? Oh, I you love have to it. Pl- you have to place them on the side of the table and hit them with a hammer <laughs> and get a chunk off. So the, the chunky gets all the different size. And you're mm. absolutely right, Nigella. They've got to take their balls out and have it mashed for them. But if, I'm assuming that today's pe- old people actually have their own teeth. As I can say, I have. <laughs> there you go. You're not old. No, I know. I'm just joking. <laughs> old. I'm a young. I'm a young yeah. old person. It's We're fantastic. We're very young compared to elephants, all of us. So carry on. I actually got Tony's chocolate only as a secret Santa yeah. for producer Alex. He got some blocks of it. It's just fantastic. Am I waiting so for my present, Andrew? Then. It's not very secret <laughs> now, then, is it? <laughs> no, it's. Yeah. Okay. No, he got it last night. So. Oh, 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 okay. he's, he's oh I see. Everyone's got some presents, have they? Right. Next, <laughs> for the partner or friend who's had a tough lockdown and needs cheering up, Alex, you go. Okay, um, so I would get them. Uh, I have a really good collection of spices. Again, mm-hmm. not the standard stuff that you get. And I have a habit. I get tiny little pots of jam and marmalade. Um, first of all, because I'm the only person in the house that ever has jam or marmalade. So I find that if I open a big um, jar of it, yeah. it tends to go off, and by the, the end, well, by the end of the jar, the problem is I'm sick of it, and I already <laughs> want to move to a different to flavor. It. So yeah. I really like the little pots, and the reason, one of the reasons I like the little pots, is because I wash them all and keep them, and then come Christmas, I do a little selection of slightly more unusual. I mean, nothing completely, you know, off the wall, but things like mace. It, it really makes a huge difference to certain dishes. Mm, um, things like, things like uh, you know, ground cloves. They're not in every cupboard. You don't need huge amounts of them, but you do need a pinch here, oh, so then and now. So I do a little, yeah. yeah, so I do a little collection of them, put labels on, and I, I find that very satisfying. Or I make chutneys. I actually, my favorite one to make is Nigella's black olive and dried fig chutney which is the most amazing and Christmassy thing you've ever put and in your may mouth. I say you can get it for free on nigella.com <laughs> yes. I'm not trying to sell the book yes, I'm just no, no, telling no, you the, where, the, the recipe, where people can get it for free yes the recipe <laughs> Let is, them know it's Christmas is, is up there and if you're making a grilled cheese sandwich if you're yeah. making a cheese toasty a little bit of that chutney in it will just make mm, it... It'll lift the dish. A, a, just yeah. an incredible experience. Yeah. Andrew? Breaking out of food for a minute. Yeah. 
because obviously I'm I'm very much the lightweight in this particular <laughs> arena. I, I would suggest that the friendlies had a tough lockdown and needs cheering up. You should get them volume one of Saga the comic book, not Saga the magazine and for old cruise. people, although the magazine yeah. for old people is very good. Saga the comic book is basically an intergalactic Romeo and Juliet, except they do get together and they do have a kid Ooh. and they are pursued across the universe by her civilization, which is technologically based, and his civilization, which is based on magic. <laughs> Everybody hates them because they've done the terrible thing, which is brought the two civilizations right. together and produced a kid. It is a fantastic... We've talked about it on the podcast yes, before. Yes. It is the most fantastic. Grand space opera, but also with a great sense of humor. Very, very funny. Very, very rude and filthy as well, if you like that kind of thing. Really? So make sure that your partner or friend isn't, uh, you <laughs> know, rude. below the age of rude and, rude and filthy mm. things. Fine. Yes. But it's, it's just great. It's full of... Uh, madness and excitement mm. and humor it has got a giant hybrid human spider woman in it who you will find is the most compelling and likable character you'll run across in a long long time it's got a cat called lying cat which can tell if you're lying and it just says lying and lying cat is always a very useful character mm -hmm. it's been on a break and it's coming back in january with the next half of the series but start get them the one from yeah. the beginning it is addictive and brilliant and beautifully drawn by Fiona Staples and it is incredible. Fabulous, that's Saga. Nigella? Well, I think, I suppose I think if people are having a bad time, I, I don't know that material goods in themselves are a huge mm. help sometimes. So I suppose it's thinking about something, it can be small, that m would m make someone feel really taken into consideration. Mm. And if you don't know that, I know this sounds, I mean, really, I'm not going to, you know, apply for a job at Hallmark or anything, but just writing a letter to say why you love that person, Aww. why you value their friendship, what's good about them. I think that, I mean, I think, you know, a little present as well, nice. But really, I think when people are down, it's because they either feel unappreciated mm. or everything is, or they're struggling. So I think something in that regard, even if it's like a teeny present as well, yeah. just something you know will, will be mm. up their street. Mm. Oh, that's lovely. That I lovely. love that. That's really nice. I'm going to say to everybody this year, I'm sorry, Nigella said material goods. In yes, well, I'll write you a letter. <laughs> oh, I love you. <laughs> <laughs> right, lastly, the best mate... So they have all their teeth, listeners, who like to explore <laughs> a left field food or drink experience and can crunch anything. Alex, what would you choose? Okay, so anyone around the Mediterranean will not consider this uh, an extraordinary ingredient. However, for pals and chums in this country, if you want to really impress friends and really add a very, very different taste to some dishes. I And it is difficult to get hold of, so you'd have to order it off an online company. Sepia dinero, um, mm -hmm. squidding. Uh, squ oh, yes, it's oh, quite yeah, easy yeah. to get in little sachets. Yeah. Fishmongers sell it it's, too. Um, it's an extraordinary way to jazz up just about anything it has a really distinctive taste oh, great. that yeah. you really won't believe and you can make everything from black rice and black mm. pasta to just sprinkle it over um you know a nicely baked piece of cod and it just it it, it makes a huge amount mm. of difference and makes everything look exciting and impressive yeah, and very nice and very... Um, It's used in the futuristic cookbook, isn't it, Marianne? Oh, is it? Black food. Well, of a certain type. Andrew, what would yours be? 
Well, uh, as I say, I'm a very, very basic person <laughs> and I can't compete with Nigella and Alex. Um, and I would say, actually, Beer 52. They do advertise with us, mm-hmm. but you, they, I think they're a fantastic beer subscription service. If you want to expand your knowledge of beer or just try something weird, they do a monthly case and there is an offer beer52.com slash bunker well, to get oh, a free case. But I, I have been a paying member yeah. for a long, long time. And What's I think the weirdest beer they really do good. then? Tell me. Oh, God, they've done sort of, uh, they did Dunkin' Donuts Porter <laughs> in the Dunkin' Donuts can, and which was slightly novelty. Yeah. They, they, there's a mix of kind of, some of them are a bit novelty, mm. but most of them are actually genuinely kind of palate stretching. Is that a word? I don't know. It makes you try different mm. beers. That's what, the, that's what they, they would need to mm. do. I, try I certainly beers. want to stretch palate this Christmas. I'm going to suggest something cheap mm-hmm. oh, rather than yes. deluxe. Yep. Cucumber syrup. Oh, <laughs> yes. What? You know, like those syrups you when you go to a coffee bar and you yeah. get hazelnut yeah. or something like that. Well, I have a cucumber one. Wow. And may I tell you that a dash and a gin and tonic or a vodka tonic mm. is heaven. Oh, and you do lots of rhubarb syrup in your new book. I was, I'm going to make it. I do, but then I do my own rhubarb. I mean, I make it myself, but rhubarb syrup is. Campari in it. It just sounds like the nicest thing in the world. Yeah. Oh, it is. That. I have to say, it is. It's my, yes, my rhubarb picano. <laughs> um, no, it French, is wonderful. <laughs> but if I want a food, I'd say Botarga, okay. which is mullet roe, smoked mullet roe from it's sardinian mm. and you grate it over pasta or you or over a fried egg for yeah. your fried egg sandwich mm, so even though it's very expensive it lasts you know for ages yeah. you only grate a little bit yeah. and that is wonderful it's that very deep deep smokiness mm. that it, it is really glorious yeah. but you know any form of eggs I fancy doing a steak tartare with it myself, Lovely. but I love it most just on, you know, it's it's like an upmarket version of my Marmite spaghetti. <laughs> I just put it on that with lots yeah. of butter and garlic. Oh, I'm so hungry now. Um, you probably, mm-hmm. everybody wants to know my answers, and it's the same for all of those categories. Christmas bog roll. <laughs> <laughs> Before we wrap up, as regular listeners know, we're collating the greatest records of all time as chosen by our special guests. Nigella Lawson, what are you adding to our rolling playlist? Well, just to ensure you never ask me back, um, <laughs> I am choosing the first record I ever bought. It is called Cinderella Rockefeller, sung by Abby and Esther O'Farum. or well, Esther and mm-hmm. Abby O'Farum, really, Esther's star. So it came out... 68, I was eight. My first record, you used to go to the record shop and hear it about 25 times before you bought it. And uh, I used, I had a sister who was 16 months younger than me and we used to perform it as a duet in very 60s clothes with, uh, you know, mirrored sequined boleros and matching flouncy shirts uh, and velvet and, and crushed velvet trousers. I had to be the man because she had obviously, despite being younger than me, she was in charge. And so she played, uh, <laughs> she, she was the one being serenaded. As listeners will know, this one is an absolute nightmare to clear. We haven't been able to clear it because it's the copyright is unbelievable, but we'll stick it on our famous rolling playlist. It's the first thing in your show notes and you can have a listen there. <laughs> Thank you. 
And that brings us to the end of the show. Is our turkey cooked all the way through? Is the bacon crispy enough? Or have we burnt all the caramel? It's all-star closing time chatter. Nigella, what's your closing time chatter? Well, I'm going to say, while you're peeling potatoes (laughs) and uh, generally you know, hiding from everyone in the kitchen and pretending that it's it's a tough gig, but actually being very happy. <laughs> mm. I would say listen to the audio book of Mel Brooks' autobiography mm-hmm. called Winningly All About Me. <laughs> it's a total joy. And, you know, he's 95. He's narrated it himself, which, I mean, I presume they had to do a bit of, you know, stopping for breath. So it's wonderful. And he regularly bursts into song. Um, So I would say that absolutely. Fantastic. And we're going to try and fit a bit of a clip in. We'll be sending him some Tony's Chocolony later, see if his teeth can cope. (laughs) Alex, what's yours? I was going to recommend a a deeply terrifying Channel 4 documentary, (laughs) The the Cult of Conspiracy QAnon by the very, very brave Ben Zand. In the lion's den, quite literally. Mm But then Steve Bronsky passed, and I cannot fail to mention Bronsky Beat. I have had Small Town Boy on infinite repeat the last 48 hours. I cannot tell you what that song and that band, unapologetic as it was, activist as it was, in your face as it was, meant to a sort of frightened 13-year-old gay teenager, and it's a bloody good tune as well. It gets me on my feet every time. Mm-hmm. So can we drop that in our playlist and say, here's here's can. to you, Steve. You changed oh. everything. Oh. R.I.P. Andrew. Berlin. DJs, festival organisers, music fans are campaigning to have UNESCO give world heritage status to the techno scene. Mm. There's a group called Rave the Planet and they're lobbying the German authorities to apply for what is known as intangible wow. cultural heritage status for Berlin Techno, for Bergen and all those places. Um, the, the city's had a terrible time. Over 100 clubs have closed since COVID. They've actually just prohibited dancing in clubs for the duration of the latest lockdown. So go to a club and stand around doing nothing. UNESCO have apparently already granted intangible oh, yeah. cultural heritage status to Slovakian bagpipe mm-hmm. culture, Irish harping and Tibetan opera. And reggae only got it, got it in 2018, <laughs> which seems very, very late. By the way, RIP Robbie Shakespeare. Yes. So I am in favour of Berlin Techno getting intangible cultural heritage and status. Me too. I'll add my name yeah, to that list. What's your closing time, Shatashan? Does Christmas TV exist anymore? In an age of on-demand services, which we all have, I mean, it's the only thing live, the Queen's speech that you tune into. Does it matter? Has the news become the new Christmas TV? I'm wondering as well, because that mm. seems to be rolling. That changes hour on hour. That is the our water cooler moment, is it not? That's what Especially we are Especially at the moment. Exactly. Setting our watches by mm. Christmas TV, which was the thing, the Radio Times edition, all that sort of stuff seems absolutely uninteresting and uh, not as, you know, I'm in fervour. Um, for what's going to happen next. I think that can be a bad thing because it means that politics sometimes keeps up with our need for it to be a TV Mm, show. mm. Um, But I've been pondering that this week. And there we go. Until next week and our second half of the best of 2021, we want to thank top cook, author, broadcaster and all-round good egg. See what I did there? (laughs) Nigella Lawson, thank you. Thank you for having me. It's been wonderful. What are you looking forward to in 2022? Oh, I think it's a bit dangerous to look forward to anything. Oh, um, you know, just being alive, I hope. 
and more crisps and chicken. Listeners, <laughs> thanks for tuning in. Remember, if the juices don't run clear, cook it for longer. From me, Alex, <laughs> Andrew, producer Alex and assistant producer Yelena, thank you for listening. See you next time. The Culture Bunker was presented by Andrew Harrison, Sean Pattenden and Alex Andreu. The assistant producer was Yelma Sofronievich. An audio production was by me, Alex Reese, powered by chocolate. Theme tune by Kenny Dickinson. The Culture Bunker is a Podmasters production. <laughs> <laughs>